to come back to this passage that I used this morning. And um, I want to share with you just a few more things about this. Especially, I want to focus tonight upon this idea of visionary leadership and transformative leadership that I touched on this morning. Because I think this is so important for the church to get. I think it's so important for us, whether we are Sunday school teachers or deacons or we're in the choir or the orchestra or the praise band or whatever we're in, whatever we're doing, I think it is so important for us to capture this, to see that the Lord wants us to be visionary people and he wants us to be transformative people. I went again this afternoon. Uh, I know we had a lot of activities going on here, but I did have a few minutes to steal away this afternoon. And I went to Acts chapter 20, verse 27 again. And I said, you know, I looked at a lot of this original language, but I don't remember in verse 27 uh, what the word was there for counsel. Because in chapter 20, verse 27, it's, Paul is, again, speaking to the elders, the pastors, the overseers. And he says to them, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And I went back again. I said, what is that word counsel again? You know, most of the time I'm thinking about the word of God and how like he was preaching through it. And I do think there is some merit in understanding it as God's revelation, God's word. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. But the word literally means plan, intent, purpose. So the idea is, while I was with you, I talked to you about the overall plan of God, his intent his purpose. Dr. Luke will use that same word later on, like in chapter 27, when he's describing the soldiers after the shipwreck, and it'd be how those soldiers had a plan to like kill all the inmates, all the prisoners. That's what their plan was, like they had a plan. Here, it says that God has a plan, that God has a purpose, that God has an intent. And this is where I think Paul was the visionary. He tried to present to the people of God there in Ephesus for three years. He tried to present to them what God's big plan, what his big vision was for them and for the church. I do believe that you and I have a great vision. And I believe that God has a plan and an intent and a purpose for us individually and for us collectively as his people. And I believe we have to affirm that and we have to remind people of that all the time. Now, as I said this morning, you know, Proverbs says, where there is no vision, the people perish, right? That's what the writer of Proverbs says. I told you this morning what Rick Warren says, and Rick Warren's right. If you don't have vision, the people not only perish, they probably move to another parish. They try to go somewhere else because people want to be compelled. And we have to compel people because we have the greatest, we have the most epic plan, vision that you could ever imagine. You don't think Jesus left us with a great vision and plan? Matthew chapter 28, called the commission. You don't think you can get, you don't think you can get, I mean, big. I mean, he is big in his idea. He said, you are going to go into all the world. That's visionary. And Paul was trying to present that to the church. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose or his plan or his, his vision that will prevail. In other words, we have all kinds of plans. And yes, we do. I don't know if 
you could just kind of check your calendar, I don't think I want you to check it right now. You'll get on the phone and you won't get off. You'll be on social media and all. But if you could check your calendar, could you see how many plans you have, even for this week? How many schedules you have, all the things, the things that you want to do and the things. The writer of Proverbs says most of those things grow out of our heart. Many are the plans in a man's heart. So we have a lot of things that we want to do. But it is God's purpose and intent, His plan that actually prevails, that stands firm. And that is the reason we look for it and we get the vision, His vision for us. I, I love the way the vision is captured or the, the language is captured by others. It, a vision could be the picture that you see when you look through God's eyes. Vision is what it could be. It's kind of like you're looking through binoculars and you can see out there what could happen. Dr. Reggie Oje. Dr. Reggie Oje is a professor at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. And at one point, I graded for him down there. He's right now the interim pastor at First Lafayette. Uh, but Dr. Oje is a wonderful guy. They called him the Big Reggie and they called me the Little Reggie there on seminary campus. But Dr. Oje used to say, vision is a picture of what God wants to do and will do if we'll get out of the way and let him loose to do it. And there are times when we need to be reminded that God, he is, he, he's got plans for us. He has, he has a work for us. He has an intention for us. And again, when Paul's saying this, he said, I've been telling you about the whole council." The whole plan, the whole purpose of how God started all of this and how God is continuing to work in the church's life and how he's continuing to work in your life. I think it was Helen Keller that was one time asked, what's worse than being blind? And she said, what's worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. And for us as a people of God, We've got to recognize that we have a vision. We have a purpose. We have a plan. Philip Lewis wrote some years ago, and he said, The vision, whatever it may be, is the ideal for which to strive. It must be strategically focused on the membership and dedicated to a church's mission. It must capture the imagination and the spirit of a congregation. Vision motivates an organization to action. It provides an overarching framework to guide day-to-day -day decisions and priorities and provides the parameters for planful uh, opportunities, he says. That it compels us. One of the reasons we keep going and we keep ministering is because we can see the vision that God has for us. You and I need to, again, See the vision that God has and communicate that to others. All to be able to see. Think about, um, think about Abraham for a moment. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that by faith he left. He left the land that he had known to go into the area that God had told him to go into. Uh, it also tells us that by faith he dwelt in the land of Canaan. Now, that's a big deal because it's one thing to go when God tells you to. It's another thing to stay, right? Because the, in Hebrews 11, it even says that if Abraham had given really thought about this, he might have gone back to his house, to his original land. 
Leslie and I used to think about that like, you know, when we moved to South Louisiana, good night. It was a different culture for us. You may not know this, but I'm from like North Mississippi. And South Louisiana was different. It was different. They ate different things. They spoke different language. I mean, it was, I'm going to tell you, they rooted for different teams. They wore this purple and gold color that was just offensive. It was crazy when you moved down there to to see what it was like. And, And Leslie and I would talk, and I said, you know what? This is what Abraham felt like. And she's like, well, I said, this is like Abraham moving to the Canaanite land. Remember? I know it's the promised land. I know some of you, oh, it's the promise. Yeah, but don't forget, he's living by the Canaanites. I mean, have you ever met the Canaanites before? They eat crawfish. <laughs> they go to a stadium on Saturday nights to worship and, 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 and enjoy their football. I mean, there are all kinds of things that they do. They're Canaanites, but by faith he stayed. Why? Oh, if you keep reading Hebrews 11, it says the reason that he went and the reason that he stayed was because he thought that there was something better. And it talks about a city, a heavenly city that he could almost see, that he could sense. And get this, he never knew what Jerusalem was like. Not in his lifetime, but he could see. He could see Yes, Jerusalem, I think he could see the heavenly city itself because he had vision. And you and I, we have to keep going. And and that's what we have to tell people. Again, like Paul to the leadership, there is a plan. There is a purpose. God's working all this out. God's never caught off guard. God began this world. He created it. And he's been intimately involved in it. And in its redemption, read the Old Testament, read the New Testament, look at church history, you will see God's hand, his fingerprints. And he is working in us. He gives us a vision. Where do we get our vision from? It is not from some man. It is not from some culture. It is not simply a fad that we find. Our vision for who we should be and who the church should be is right here. He reveals himself to us, and he reveals what he wants for us in our lives. What does he want for a church? Oh, I could open up again to Acts chapter 2, and I could show you what he wants for a church. He wants a church that is in koinonia fellowship, that is enjoying fellowship together. He wants a church that is seeing discipleship of its membership, that we are growing in our image of Christ. What does he want? He wants a church that is reaching out so that People will know Christ, and they are coming to be baptized. What what does he want in a church? He wants a church that ministers to those who are weak and who are needy. He wants a church that will work and do what is necessary for the kingdom. What does he want in a church? He wants a church that is just delighting in him to worship him each and every time they come together with whatever instruments they have, with their voices, with their minds, with everything about them. That's what he wants. Look at the scripture. That's a vision. That's what he wants to move us toward. And he wants us to reach for the nations themselves. I say to you that there has to be visionary leadership. And Paul was a visionary. And when he is giving the whole counsel, he's giving the whole plan. He's laying it out for them. This is what God's doing. It's what God wants. 
And the ultimate vision is for transformation. To see people transformed. Again, I point this out. Here Paul is. He's been with the Ephesians for three years. And he's calling these leaders to him. And he's, he's passing the baton. He's saying, hey, this is yours now. You see what he's done? Three years he's invested in them. And he says, it's yours. You run with this ministry. Because what he has seen is he has seen their lives transformed into the image of Christ. That they have grown. And they have come to this place where now they can minister. I think that's so important. I, I, I tried to give you a distinction this morning between what is identified as, as transactional leadership and transformational. So often, even in the churches, I see this often. I see it so often. There's transactional leadership. It's kind of like, what can I do for people so that they'll do something for me? What can I do so that people will come to church? What can I do so that people um, might give their money? What might I do so that people might go on a mission trip? What might I do so that people... Or what can I do so people bring me tomatoes? Some of you have done that. Thank you. Transactional. Transactional leadership is not biblical leadership. You don't do things for people just simply because they'll do something for you. Oh, that may be the way some businesses operate. That may be the way some business people operate. But when you look at the scripture, it is not about transactions. It is about transformation. How are people being transformed into the image of Christ? If I'm a business leader, what am I doing in my company to see them transformed into the image of Christ if I'm a teacher what am I doing how am I loving how am I working so that they will come to the image of Christ if I'm a preacher it is not simply to have a, a full house on Sunday morning I would love to do that but I'm not so much about packing the house as I am about seeing people that are truly changed walking out of this place transformed by the living God that must be our hope and our prayer transformation so this this was really I gave you all that to give you this I, there was one quote I really missed this morning oh I wanted to give it to you because James McGregor Burns he says this we must distinguish here between the verbs change and transform using exact definitions to change is to sub substitute one thing for another to give and take to exchange places, to pass from one place to another. These are the kinds of changes I attribute to transactional leadership. But to transform something cuts much more profoundly. It is to cause a metamorphosis in form or structure, a change in the very condition or nature of a thing, a change into another substance, a radical change in outward form or inner character as when a frog is transformed into a prince or a carriage maker into an auto factory. It is change of this breadth and depth that is fostered by transforming leadership. See, transformation means we look totally different. We're totally different in who we are. 
What's, what's the disciples' goal? The disciples' goal is to look more like Jesus every day. If I were to give it just to you simply, what, what do I want people to do? I want people to look more like Jesus every day. That means they first have to accept Jesus, right? What did he preach? Faith and repentance, he said to them. So they had to come to know Jesus. But then it says that he uh, went house to house teaching them, sharing with them, because he wanted them to, bec to become more like Christ. My goal always, uh, I, I have left here before, and even during the week, I have prayed for myself, one, that I would look more like Christ. And I've asked myself a question. Do I look more like Jesus more today than I did yesterday, last week? Is there a noticeable difference in who I am now as opposed to one year ago or three years ago or 20 years ago? I'll be honest. If I cannot affirm, if I cannot say yes that I look differently today than I did 20 years ago and that I look more like Jesus, then I got a problem in my life. I, I got a big problem because a living organism grows. And if God has brought me into life in Him and He has brought me into His kingdom, then that means I should be growing. And if I'm not, something is dreadfully wrong. There needs to be repentance on my part. There needs to be a seeking after him again. There needs to be a renewal. There needs to be a God-ordained work within who I am. We should look more like him. We should seek transformation. That's the type of leadership that Paul is preaching and teaching. He wants to saturate them, and he did saturate them with the revelation of Christ. And he called them to action. I mentioned to you this morning a, bit, a guy by the name of Warren Bennis. And as I said, he's anything, anything but um, a Christian writer. He taught at USC for years in the leadership area, and yet I have been drawn to his writings and leadership. And one of the things he would say, he said that an organization's, uh, organization's goal was to, release, was to see the release and full use of the individual's potential. So get this. He said, if you're an organization, what you should see is the full release of an individual's potential. Well, that sounded a lot like Paul to me when I read this. Like when I read Bennis' book. And again, I'm rather ashamed that we have to allow secular writers to give us this stuff, just to be honest with you. Because we Christians should have discovered some of this way before they ever thought of it. Because what did Paul say? Paul said, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Why did he give leaders in the scripture or in the church? He gave leaders to build up others so that they might do the work of the ministry. I love ministry. I love work. I mean, 
I started saying this Wednesday night, and I kind of got interrupted. I don't know if some of you were here, but God interrupted me. Uh, I was trying to talk about staff and how I loved working with the staff here, but there were a few that I was a little concerned about. And about that time, there was a loud rumble of thunder above. So I left it alone, all right? But I think I'm okay tonight. I think he's given me liberty. You know, um, it, it is awesome to work with individuals, to know that we can't do this alone and that we need to see the work of the ministry, right? And that we can have people to join us in this. And Paul, there he is. Elders, I need you to come and be a part of this. I want you to lead this church at Ephesus. I love doing it. Of course, sometimes they lead you the wrong way, right? Sometimes, maybe every now and then. I love Dale Oden. But if you're going with Dale Oden, you better check the address. Why? Because last week, we walked into a woman's home. We'd gone to visit some other woman, but we, I, I came up, the door opened. I thought, how's this lady kin to the woman we were going to visit? We walk in, we go into the kitchen, and uh, we're just talking and so, and then all of a sudden, Dale says, you know we're in the wrong house. <laughs> I thought so. I thought so. At least it was a temple member that we went to their house, though. That's what was cool. I knew the lady. We knew her. We got to visit with her and talk. But I knew right street number, wrong street, right? Wasn't that the way it was? Anyway, hey, it's good. Sometimes you're going to mess up in ministry. But you get to do it together, right? You get to do it together. Listen, God wants us to work together. And he wants us to see transformation in people's lives. And you, I, I'm, I love ministry, but I, I'm not the one to do all the ministry. I love this staff, but they're not the ones to do all the ministry. I love our deacons, but our deacons aren't the ones to do all the ministry. What God wants us to do in his vision is for us to come and equip and trans, see the transformation in every member here so that every member can be a missionary, so that every member can minister to people. That's what I believe God's goal is. That's what Paul was doing as he was investing in other people and he was leading them. Thank God for people who've invested in us. Thank God for people that were not just about their own means, their own advantage. They weren't involved in transactional leadership. What they were involved in is transformational leadership of investing in us I really meant I really meant to give us time tonight for some of you maybe to share of some of the people that have invested in you and that helped transform you but it's already 647 and I told Leslie earlier we it's not going to be that long and when we walked out of the house, she looked at the kids and said, get ready. Your daddy said, it's not going to be long. We'll be there all night tonight. <laughs> you got to love the affirmation. I love you. But just to show her, I'm not going to stop. I, I'm not going to stop tonight and ask you to tell me out loud the people who have worked in your life and helped you see transformation. But, friends, you and I, we've had these people who've demonstrated that leadership. Or otherwise, we wouldn't be sitting here on these pews. We wouldn't be in this worship service tonight. I wouldn't be in this pulpit if it weren't for people like 
Ronald Meeks at Blue Mountain College, and Argel Smith and Reggie Ogier down at New Orleans, and Marvin Cox, who was my director of missions. And I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Bobby Holland that baptized me and led me to the Lord. I wouldn't be here except there were people that were willing to give themselves up for my benefit, give their time, give their instruction, give their help. And you wouldn't be either. If those people are still on this earth, you ought to stop and thank them. Just a few weeks ago, God convicted me after I'd preached one of my messages. So I went out and I texted my professor at Blue Mountain and I told him, thanks for being the spiritual father to me that I desperately needed. God had gotten a hold of me, so I sat down and I wrote my pastor that I hadn't seen in a long time, years. My dad came by, the, uh, talked to me the other day, and he said, um, he said, hey, I saw that preacher. I said, yeah, and I didn't know what he was going to say. My dad doesn't have the best opinion of some preachers. It's probably not even his son sometimes. But he, uh, he said, I saw that preacher. He said, you sent him a note. Did, Daddy. We'll just leave it there, okay? We need to thank them. For those that have gone on to be with the Lord, we ought to thank their memories. We ought to rejoice and know that one day, thanks to what Christ has done for us, we're going to get to see them again. I was reminded of that this afternoon. What we need to do also, though, is to challenge ourselves. Challenge ourselves to intentionally present the vision of God to them, to those around us. The plan, the purpose, the intent. You, you use the word all the time. It's called epic, right? An epic mission. An epic purpose. We need to tell them how big and wonderful this plan is that God has. And then we need to do everything we can to see them transformed into that vision and plan. We need to be challenged once again. And I pray that tonight you would be. I pray that tonight you'd put somebody on your radar. Let me, let me back up. You would allow God to put somebody on your radar so that you can make a difference in their life. And for you, that you would continue to seek transformation. Because he's still working on us. As I said this morning, that, that work's not going to be finished until we see him face to face. But he is faithful to keep up the work and to fulfill his plan. Let's pray together. Father. Thank you again for this evening. Thank you for this time of reflection. Thank you for the challenge that you give us. God, I pray you'd keep working in us. Make a difference in our lives. God, I pray for every individual here in this place that one, they would look more like Jesus next week than they would right now. Lord, I pray that tonight that you would help them in the process as they're growing, that they would invest in others, and that as they invest in others, there will be people who will catch your vision, and they will be transformed as well. But most of all, may your son, the Lord Jesus, be clearly demonstrated and exalted and glorified in everything that we do in the processes we have. We pray it. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?